Hallelujah. Let's give the worship team a hand clap. They did so good. Well, good evening. It's a Monday night. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so surprised to see you here tonight. Hallelujah. Who's glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. On a Monday night. Praise God. Praise God. That's awesome. I've been um, meditating a lot today and asking the Lord what He would want me to do tonight. And um, I'm going to share a message uh, on revival again. And how many of you are seeking revival? Now, I think there's a lot of people who don't understand revival. Um, I've been preaching revival for 33 years and uh, believing God for change to come um, in people's lives, number one, but then change to come to a city or to a town. And um, everybody who knows me by now will understand that I've been saying for a long time, revival doesn't start with your pastor, but revival starts with each and every one of us individually. Would you agree? This is where revival starts. And when I get revived, it's obviously going to spill over onto somebody else's life. Um, I, you know, when I was 25 years old, I was um, so lost in the world. I didn't know anything uh, of church or God, but Jesus came and he saved me. And I almost want to say that from day one of my salvation, I've been in revival, just preaching every night as much as I can, telling the world about this experience that I've had um, with the Lord Jesus, because there is power in your testimony, who would agree? And we need to share our testimony and tell people how will they, how will they know the truth if we don't share what, what experience we've had with God. But then obviously as time goes on, you know, um, if we are not careful and if we don't guard our hearts, Satan is very um, clever in, in, in infiltrating our lives in such a way that we don't even notice it. And um, we know that Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And what happens after you got saved, it could be maybe a year or two, five years, ten years, you find that you fall into a comfort zone, or um, if I may use this word, you fall into a rut, and you become church and God acquainted. Does that make sense? You, you've become familiar with God. And that's the most dangerous place to be, is to become familiar. Because uh, I think there's a saying that says, uh, familiarity breeds contentment. And if we become too familiar with God and too familiar with uh, His presence, we also then begin to lose respect for Him. And we don't have that honor that we should have. It's very sad for me that I see in the lives of many people, there is a familiarity with God that has also produced disrespect towards the Lord. And when we get into that place, it means that we are busy backsliding and we are not where we should be in our relationship with God. Would anybody agree with what I'm saying? It's like, it's like children today who do not have respect for their parents. And that really hurts me to see how many children are absolutely disrespectful towards their parents because they have become too familiar with them. 
And it's, um, please understand me, we love and we, we, we're a family and all of that. But have you noticed in, in the last couple of years how, how um, p uh, children have been treating their parents? It's just been very disrespectful. Come on, you can say amen. And if the family, if the father does not teach his child what he should be doing, then that, that child will never understand what it means to respect and what it means to honor. And so there's a lot of people in the house of God who do not respect and honor God for who he is. We just say, well, he's God, you know, uh, and he loves me and everything's going to go. So I want to I wanna talk about um, what the word revival really means. And the Lord has, has spoken to me concerning this uh, so much. And if I may tonight, uh, this is normally a Sunday morning sermon that I preach when we have the whole church. But I just felt the Lord wanted me to share this with you. So if you have a pen and a paper um, and you want to write this down, it'll, it'll be great because I want you to write the word revival, but not revival like that, but revival with each letter under each other. All right. And I'm going to take you through these, um, uh, the letters of revival. And um, from my perspective, from my point of view, to, to try and declare to you, show you what revival is, because revival points back to me. Can you understand? It points back to me. I cannot live your Christian life for you. I cannot make you pray. I cannot make you read your Bible. I cannot make you fear the Lord. I cannot tell you what to do. I can point you to the word. What you do after that is your, your choice. Amen. That's what Pastor James does. We always, we point you to the word. Jesus Christ is the one that we are going after. Come on, who agrees? It's all about his word, his Bible, his, his instructions. So that's the one that we are to follow after. Can I preach down here tonight? Is that okay? So um, re revival, R-E-V-I-V-A-L, revival. So if you have a pen and paper and you want to write this down, the first letter is the letter R. And uh, I started on Sunday morning preaching um, on this first word, and, I'll, and I don't want to get too much into this. I have too much else to say. But the first letter R stands obviously for repentance. You cannot preach repent or you cannot preach revival without repentance. Come on. You cannot preach salvation without repentance. We need to repent. If there's no repentance, there'll be no change that takes place. So it's very important that we understand everything we do with God starts with repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. Jesus Christ re uh, preached repentance. The apostles preached repentance. What makes you and I unique from not preaching repentance? We have to preach the message of repentance. Why? It is the way to salvation. It is the way to get to God. Would you agree? We have to minister salvation. So, uh, I mean, the repentance. So uh, Shemaine and I, uh, through the videos, you see, you know, we've been to 42 countries, I believe, and, and we've preached around the world. And many times we would get to the airports and we would rent a uh, vehicle to drive around. And uh, before there was something called GPS. <laughs> Thank God for GPSs. Hallelujah. But before there was such a thing, any, uh, some of the older folk will understand there was something called a road map. Who remembers those old books we used to have? And um, I remember one day we flew to America. Now listen, if you fly to New York, I don't know if anybody understands, you know, uh, 20 million people in the city of New York. 
um, you drive in the Big Apple, and uh, there's cars galore. I mean, it's everywhere, just cars. We are strangers. For you Aussies, it's the same as us South Africans. They all drive on the wrong side of the road. I'm telling you, they are confused, those people. They drive on the wrong side. Their steering wheel is on the wrong side, you know. Their road signs are different than ours, and so it's highly confusing. We rent a vehicle, um, and we were driving a big old Suburban. I don't know if anybody knows a Suburban. That's a very big SUV, okay? I mean, it's like twice the size of ours that we have uh, in our country. So this is a huge car. And we're driving in the Big Apple. Charmaine has got the road map open. The traffic is bumper to bumper. There's between five to six lanes just in a one-way direction. And then I'm driving on the far uh, right-hand side, and she'll say to me, the next road, turn left, turn left. Now, how do you turn left? You know, if you're in the far lane and there's, there's a traffic jam. So many a time we've had wonderful bad arguments. <laughs> You understand? I mean, we would just fight. And I'd say, Shemaine, come on, can't you tell me? But, you know, poor old Shemaine, she's just trying to figure out herself. And she did a far better job than I would do with a map. I'll most probably have it upside down, you know, and get the wrong. But um, so many times we found ourselves taking the wrong turn. And we would find ourselves going in the wrong direction. And the more we would go, and I want everybody to listen, please. The more we would go into a different direction, the more Shemaine would tell me, hey, you need to stop and turn around. We're going the wrong way. And guess what Mr. Prideful says? No, man, I know what I'm doing. Come on, who understands? I know where I'm going. Come on, just I, I, I'll get us out of here. And the more I go, the more deeper and deeper we get lost. And then my pride will, you know, sometimes stand in my way of acknowledging that I'm not listening to my wife and I won't take the wrong direction until finally we are so in maybe in a dangerous area. She says, you better stop and ask for directions. And then I still don't want to do it. And, you know, there's such a strong connection between getting lost in the world and getting lost spiritually. Because sometimes we take a wrong turn in our life and we make the wrong decision. And when we make the wrong decision, our pride will not acknowledge that we made the wrong decision. And we will not receive counsel from other people. We won't go for counsel. We won't because my pride says to me, leave me alone, man. I know what I'm doing. Everything's okay. And that's what repentance means. Repentance means to acknowledge that you made the wrong decision. You took the wrong step and now you have to turn back. And go to the place where you got lost and start over from there. Hello. But our pride stops us. I'm not going to listen to that guy. Listen to him. He's fighting with me and telling me everything I'm doing is wrong. But you know deep down in your heart what you're doing is wrong. You know that. But you just will not repent thereof. I'm not going to take that step of, of uh, uh, a mature decision and say, you know what, I understand, yes, I made a boo-boo, uh, because that's what I do with Shemaine. Finally, we in such trouble, I say to Shemaine, you are very right, I repent, I'm sorry. Sorry for not listening to you, sorry for, you know, um, not taking your counsel, and then I would stop, get directions, find our way out, and guess what happened? We were delivered from very dangerous people. You know that, what I'm saying? If you go down New York City and you go down to the wrong streets, you know, you get into bad neighborhoods. 
and your life is in danger. You could be killed. You could be robbed. You could be something. And what happens when we take the wrong turn in life with the decisions that we make? Well, we open the door for Satan to attack us. And you make silly mistakes and you make bad decisions. Come on, somebody. And Satan sees that and he hits you. And when he's got you trapped, you'll find your life just goes backwards and backwards and backwards until you are so lost and, and so, you know, that, and that's a sad thing that eventually you acknowledge your mistake and then you repent and then you go back. But at that point of time, you've almost lost everything. Everything's gone wrong. If I only had listened in the beginning... To somebody who gave me counsel and somebody who told me what to do, I wouldn't have found myself in that very low point of time in my life. You find what you understand what I'm saying? So repentance is of the utmost important thing. And that's one thing that Christians hate to hear is the word repentance. They don't want to hear that. I'll always say this. I'm not ashamed to say this. I remember coming to Australia and I remember preaching in a church where there was a big um, uh, evangelist, an Aussie evangelist. And he said to me, he said, Dion, you will never be accepted in this country. I said, why? He says, because the Aussies don't like to be told what to do. That's what he said to me. He says, you'll never make it. You, 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 the people won't accept what you have to say because they do not like to be told what to do. And, you know, I kind of found that as the years went on that it's true. But guess what? It's not just an Australian thing. It's a, it's a worldly thing because Christians don't want to repent. Don't tell me I'm in sin. Don't tell me my lifestyle is sin. Don't tell me what I'm doing is sin. You know why? Because I love what I'm doing. I'm enjoying that sin. And who knows? Sin is enjoyable. That's why it's called sin. Well, thanks for the amen. I used to love getting drunk. That's why I got drunk every day. Two bowls of brandy every day. Get so drunk, I'll pass out. Then I'll wake up, vomit, drink again. Just go on. Why? I enjoyed it. I love gambling. I love the thrill of gambling. I love the thrill of hoping I'm going to hit the jackpot and make a lot of money. Hello. Love the thrill. But you know, there's, there's, there's consequences to the decisions that you make. And you bring destruction. And you can't blame the devil because you made the bad decision. Right? You, it's your fault. It's not the devil's fault. We always blame the devil or we blame God. But what about looking at yourself and saying, you know what? I just need to repent and stop doing what I'm doing so that God can come and bring healing into my life. So that's the first thing is repentance because repentance, um, you know, is necessary because it leads to forgiveness of sins. Can I get an amen? We need to repent of our sins. But let's get to the second letter because when we come to revival, a lot of people don't understand that it's going to cost you everything. And that's what we don't like to hear. I want everything, but I don't want it to cost me anything. So the E stands for endurance. 
endurance. And you've got to have endurance in your Christian walk with God. You've got to endure. You've got to endure the fact that I have to pray. You've got to endure the fact that I've got to read my Bible. You've got to endure the fact that I've got to worship Jesus. You've got to endure the fact that I have to go to church. You've got to endure the fact that I am going to be persecuted for my faith. I'm going to be mocked and laughed at and judged because I am standing for God 110% and I'm going to have to endure the troubles that I will be facing. This is the part that most Christians don't like. What do you mean persecution? I thought when I become a Christian, life's going to be hunky-dory and everything's going to be, you know, just going down the river on a Sunday afternoon. Or what's the other one? Sarah, whatever will be, will be. I don't care, you know. That's what people paint Christianity to be like. But I'm telling you, there is really, if you are on fire and you are going for God, you will not be liked. Christianity is not a popularity contest. It's not a fashion parade either. There's a price to pay if you want revival. We can't handle a long service. We can't handle having seven days a week church. We can't handle going on for two months every night. You know, we can't handle that. You're asking me too much. Yet you can binge movies through the weekend, as I said uh, on Sunday. You know, you can do things that, that you love because my flesh is enjoying what I'm doing. But when I have to sit in church and listen to somebody preach and then he wants to tell me still how I should lead my life, then I don't want to hear what he has to say. My dear friend, that's repentance and endurance goes hand in hand. Who receives what I'm teaching? You have to develop endurance. You have to endure praying when you don't feel like praying. Come on. You have to endure reading your Bible even though you don't understand most of the time what you're reading. Asking the Holy Ghost to give you the revelation of what you are reading. You have to endure studying the scripture. You have to endure sitting through services like mine. Come on, think about this. Why do a lot of people just have these little 20-minute sermons, you know, uh, just preach a little soft gospel, tickle your ear, make me feel good messages so that you can just quickly come in by 7 and leave by 8, you know, and I just feel, hey, that was cool, you know, that was great. My boat wasn't rocked. I wasn't told what to do. Everybody loved me. You know, they, they, they just stroked me and my sin and my life that I'm living. Turn to your neighbor and say, speaking to you and again tonight. Hallelujah. Somebody say endurance. Do you have endurance to go for God 110%? Do you have the endurance to stick it out? How many thousands of people have we led to Jesus? How many thousands have come in this church? How many hundreds have given their hearts, thousands, whatever, through the years? And I ask myself, where are those people? Why is it that people will come on a Sunday, give their hearts to Jesus Christ, and maybe come back the next Sunday, but then when you look for them, they're gone. They, they've never come back. Do you know why? Because they discovered, hey, there's a lot more to Christianity than just feeling good. 
The more you get closer to God, the more you understand God requires much more from us than what somebody told me it's going to be like. And then there's no more endurance. Can't come to church too long. It's too much effort. Come on. Do you have endurance? When they marched around the walls of Jericho, think about this. And the Lord spoke to, to uh, Joshua and he said to him, take seven priests with seven uh, uh, ram's horns and begin to march around the city. You will do this six days. Six days, you're going to march around the walls of Jericho. Now that was, uh, I don't know how big that city was. I presume it was quite a big city. And they had to walk around it. Now imagine the first day when they started marching around the walls of Jericho, that the people who lived in the city, because the walls were quite uh, wide, they could build a house on that wall and I could imagine the inhabitants of uh, of the city coming down and standing on the wall and they say look at that look at these little little silly Jews walking around you know and what are they what are they doing do they think they can walk uh, uh, walk the walls flat or something you know and and the first day it was okay but the second day they started being mocked they mocked them they laughed at them the third day they started throwing bad tomatoes at them come <laughs> on throwing stuff at them you know teasing them and uh, I could imagine as the as the priests were walking and the people were walking the humility that they had to face. Day one, day two, day three, day four. I wonder how many wanted to give up on day five and said, well, you know what? I don't like this persecution. I don't like this going for God for what, you know. Why do I have to face all this stuff? And then when we thought it was, okay, day six, okay, we finished it. God comes and says, day seven, you're going to do it seven times. Seven times. You see, sometimes endurance has such a, price attached to it that God's going to test you and test you and test you and just when you thought maybe I passed the test he's going to increase the test you fail at day one you fail at day two I, I don't you know I can't fast how many people say well we're going to fast we're going to fast and then you do good for the breakfast but then you're half dead by lunch And that's a Daniel's fast. Come on, somebody. How many of you have a good intention? I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast. I'm going to seek the Lord this year. And you, you planned that you were going to do a, you know, maybe a three-day fast or a seven-day fast. And then by day two, you just give up. You don't have the endurance to seek the Lord. Fasting just on water, causing the flesh to be crucified. When last did you go on a water fast, Christian? Not a Daniel's fast. When last did you just drink water and tell your body to suffer and get closer to God? Endurance. Do you have endurance? I can't stand and worship just three songs. It's too much for me to stand and to worship. My arms get tired to lift it unto the holy God, the God who saved my life, creator of heaven. And I can't even lift my hands unto him. Endurance. Preaching the gospel, going out, inviting people to come to church. Do you have endurance? That's what revival is. Can I go on? V, the next letter V stands for vision. And I've preached on vision and I'd love to preach it again. But the fact of the matter is if you don't have a vision, you'll die spiritually. You'll just die. And I've seen so many thousands of Christians who do not have a vision. They have vision for themselves, but they don't have a vision for God. 
My vision is one million souls. What's your vision? What is your vision? How many souls did you plan? Ask God, how many souls can I win for Jesus this year? Not pastor, but me. Not the evangelist, but me. Lord, how many people can I lead to you? How many people can I witness? Do you have a vision for God? It's great to have a church vision. The Bible is very clear that we need to have a vision, write it down, tell the people what we're going to do so that we can, as a unit, work together. But what about individually? What is your goal? Did you plan to read the Bible this year? Did you plan to further your studies, your knowledge on the Word? What is your goal with God? We make New Year's resolutions. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to diet this year. I'm going to join the gym. Oh, boy. I'm going to buy that new treadmill. I saw it. I saw it. Spencer, but I'm going to buy it. Because I know every time I get on the scale, my scale is very ugly to me. He says, one at a time, please. <laughs> I like the scale in the gym because the gym tells me you're a beast. <laughs> I like that you say you're a beast. <laughs> You'll catch that later on. <laughs> But you buy the treadmill and you begin to exercise or you go to the gym and you pay the fee and you take out a two-year contract. And when you go there, you know, I'm talking to the men, here's maybe some young lady instructor and you're going to say, hey, man, I'm going to show her I can do it. And she, and she says, just slow down, slow down. Don't take it so hard, you know. You say, no, 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 I can do it, I can do it. So, you know, you want to brag on Monday and Tuesday. By Wednesday, you hate that woman. <laughs> She's wants to, all she has in mind is to kill you. It's too much. So I don't go back the next week. Can't even walk the next week. Never mind. Go back. Get on the treadmill. My beautiful treadmill I built has become a closet. Because I just throw all the clothes hanging on it. You know, it's too much. So we have New Year's resolutions. But my dear friend, what is your vision as a Christian for God? Do you have a vision for God? Did you ask, are you happy with just doing what you're doing right now? If you are, then you've stagnated. You always need a fresh vision. You always need something new. Because if there's, if there's no hope, my heart becomes depressed and, and I become lazy. I lay at nights, many a night. I don't sleep much. You can ask my wife. I average between three and four hours a day. That's all I sleep. And most of the nights I just lay in bed talking to the Lord. And I just have these visions. Oh, thank you, God, for my one million souls. Thank you, Lord. If I only had 10 million, I could do this for your kingdom. I could build that. I could go there. I could feed these people. I could do so much, Lord. I, can't, I think my mind is just too busy with visions, what I can do for God and his kingdom. I'm not thinking about what I can get out of it. I'm thinking, what can I do for him? doesn't matter if I have a big house on earth. When I die, I'm not going to live it out. I'm going to go to heaven, get a new house. Amen, somebody. Do you have a vision? Because that's revival. If you have a vision, you'll go after it. Have you have a goal? Somebody who starts a new business. Why, why is starting a new business so exciting? I can promise you when you built this church, you had a vision, a new building. Man, everybody got excited. Wow. People put money into it, you know. People came to help, and everybody was building and painting and working together because it was exciting. Something new and fresh is coming. 
was exciting, wasn't it? Hard work. Hard work, lots of pain, tears, struggling, but we got it. Now we see the fruits of our labor. More and more people joining the church, growth. But what about you? The fruits of a backslidden Christian is really easy. Who wants to know what a backslidden Christian looks like? I'll tell you five fruits real quickly. Number one, they don't go to church anymore. Knit ones, keep ones. Who knows every knitting? <laughs> Come on, ladies. You knit, you skip one, you knit, skip one. That's go to church on a Sunday, skip the next Sunday. What's the second fruit? They don't tithe. Won't tithe. Well, how can I tithe? This money, you know, I need this money. No, if you're on fire for God, the first thing you did was you gave your whole tithe to God. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, says the Lord. Test me now in this and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough for you to contain it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Who doesn't want to pay the tithe? What's the matter with you if you don't want to pay your tithe? Because there's so many benefits in paying your tithe. Come on, you're giving it to God. Well, brother, the, you know, that's Old Testament and we're not under the law. Well, hello, surprise, it wasn't part of the law, tithing. It was way before the law. It's excuses people use, you know. Any, any excuse that I want to use not to give my money to the church because I'm in a backslidden state and my flesh and the love of money is keeping me away from giving my my finances to the Lord. I'm talking about a backslidden Christian. The fruits of a backslidden Christian. What's the third fruit of a backslidden Christian? They keep on complaining. They find fault with everybody and everything. They criticize the messages that are preached. You keep standing on my toes. I don't like what he says. He preaches too long. He preaches too hard. Turn to your neighbor and say, mm-hmm. <laughs> Am I speaking the truth? Your prayer life has fallen. You don't pray even anymore. You don't even bother to pray. I'll go to church. That's good enough for me. They pray in church. Well, you know, when we all pray together, let's just pray together. Well, thank you, Lord. That was about the only prayer you did the whole week. You're not praying. You're not reading your Bible. You neglect to read your Bible. What else? You, you stop witnessing. You stop telling people about Jesus. These are the fruits of a backslidden Christian. Now, if I'm backslidden, that what I'm teaching you on and what I'm telling you about when this happens is because there's one of the reasons is you have a lack of vision because vision drives you. Vision gives you determination. Vision pushes you to go forward. Vision causes you to get involved. Who believes what I'm saying? You with me, Pastor? We need to have a new vision. Church vision, awesome. To have a business personal vision, awesome. For your work vision, awesome. But what about a vision for God? Because I'm talking about revival and we are Christians. We have to do something for God more than what. If you're happy, at where you're at now, you're complacent. You need to get more active in the kingdom of God. Remember what I taught last night? We have to seek his kingdom diligently. 
You find that precious jewel. You sell everything that you have to purchase that jewel. Vision. Let's move on. It's going to get only better though. Number four, I. Somebody say I. I. I stands for intimacy. Intimacy is very important for revival. Because if you don't become intimate with God, well, then you got nothing. Because intimacy talks about relationship. Would you agree? I remember when Shemaine and I, uh, you know, we were high school sweethearts. And, and uh, when we were in grade 11, I asked her out for the first time. We went out on a, on a deal date. I think I've shared my testimony before, but I'll share it again. Because my best friend wanted to go on a date with another girl. And, and um, he didn't want to go alone on a date. So he said to me, will you go with me on a double date? And there's another girl that will go with. I said, well, who's the girl? And he said, it's Shemaine. I said, Shemaine. <laughs> I said, mm -mm, that girl's not going to even look at me. She was the clever one, the brainy one, okay? I, don't, I admit it. I wasn't the brainy one at school. Never have been, and I don't confess to be one. Hello? I was, the, I was the jock. I was the fighter, the rugby player. You know, I played first teams three years in a row. I, I won the Victor Ladorum in athletics. I was, the, I was that guy. And she's the one who's, you know, gets straight A's, especially in maths. I mean, who gets A's in maths? <laughs> And so when I heard that Shemaine, you know, uh, she's going to be the double date, I said to my friend, I said, okay, listen, I'll do it, but I just, you know, it's going to be a disaster. I just know. And so when we went there, and Shemaine actually, when I saw her and we began to speak, I said, wow, my thoughts of her is completely different than what I had because she actually began to speak to me. <laughs> listen, you need to understand, today's young people's relationship is all about sex. There's nothing, all I want is sex, 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 you know, and when I'm finished with you, you know, and we go through all the sex positions and all the pornography that we've been watching on TV, and then when we've gone through that, then now we, you know, let's trade you in for somebody else. What happened to pure good old communication? Just good old communication, and I, that's what Shemaine and I did. You know, we hit it off. You know, she just, we sat there the whole night just talking and talking. And when, our, when the time of the date was over, I said to Shemaine, can I come and drink coffee, you know, at your house? Can I? And she said, yes. I was so amazed. <laughs> she said, yes, I can come back. And so I went back, you know, and, and it was great. And I began to go and visit her. And then when school started, I would go uh, after school. I would go to her. I'd find Shemaine somewhere in school. And I said, can I carry your suitcase back home? And she said, yes. And then I would carry a suitcase back. I'd walk her home. What happened to the good old courting that people used to have? And then I liked her mom even more because she was, uh, she was a baker. You know, she worked for the, what do you call it? Taste neighbor in English. What's the? A, a bakery. And, you know, she would make, you know, cakes and she would make pies and stuff. And every time, 2 o'clock, we get back from school, the pies just came out of the oven. <laughs> I timed it perfectly because I would get a fresh pie every day. <laughs> but there's something about, listen, I, I, I'm sharing this testimony because I'm going to talk to you about intimacy. Because you don't just love somebody, you fall in love. In the mornings now, I used to carry a suitcase in the evenings. Now I'm there, you know, 6.30 in the morning. I'm outside on my little motorbike that I used to drive. And I'd say, Shemaine, can I walk you to school now? 
Now I walk at the school, I walk the back. And on weekends, we would uh, visit, you know, and we would visit in the living room. And as we visited in the living room, her parents visited with us. <laughs> and then they were gracious to give us one hour, nine o'clock until 10. They would go to the bedroom. And then 10 o'clock, dad, you know, father-in-law begins to develop this coughing problem. <laughs> and I knew it's time to go home. Today's young people have no clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> Your parents just give you $200 and so go out there and don't come back again. You can go and buy drugs and you can go and watch porn and you can go and drink and get drunk. And the parents just don't care. How sad that is. That we will pay them to go and sin. <laughs> Quiet now. Not so funny anymore. But it's true, isn't it? Well, I've been working hard and I just want to rest and I don't need some nagging child in my house. So here's 200 bucks. Go and do what you want to do. I don't like you, Dion. Repent. Bible says you must love me. Love your neighbor. Why are you not my neighbor? <laughs> Come on, we're Christian. It's only going to get better. I'm only at letter four now. Somebody say intimacy. So guess what? Shemaine and I begin to date. And finally, I got the guts and I asked her, will you marry me? She looked at me and I, she said, yes. I said, really? You marry me? <laughs> Listen, you need to understand, I, you look at me now and you think I'm rough. I was rough, okay. I was, I, was, I was not who I am now. I've calmed down so much, bless the Lord. <laughs> so she said, yes, I'll marry you. I said to her, okay. Um, I didn't expect that, but that's, that's awesome. <laughs> so I bought her an engagement ring and. You know, that's an exciting time when you begin to, when you get engaged and the plans and all the things that you do for that big day. And then we get married. What an awesome day. We get married and then something happens on the honeymoon night. God intended sex to be holy and pure. God intended sex to be with one man and one woman. Thank you for the amens I'm getting here. He created the marriage and he created virginity so that there would be a covenant made in bed. And the covenant would be by the breaking of blood or blood being spilt. See, a lot of people don't understand these things. A lot of people make covenant and they make soul ties with very bad people and demon spirits jumping on them. All hell breaks loose and they don't understand why. What's wrong with living the way I live? I like doing what I'm doing. No, if you're a child of God, you need to do what God tells you to do. Otherwise, you're not really a child of God. 
I'm sorry to put it like that because we take on the nature of God. We become a child of God. We follow Him. We obey Him. And we obey His Word. He has the map of life, the book of life. He gives us the rules. Real Christians will obey God. Real Christians will fear God and honor God and His Word. Am I speaking the truth? So at the night of the honeymoon, something happens. Number one, a covenant is made. And number two, seed is sown. And when seed is sown, families begin to come. You understand what I'm saying? When I meet Jesus, I get invited to church. I go to church and... I see everything happening in church and it's new and it's fresh to me and, and I get excited about the Lord and I get excited about what's going on. And so there's a courtship taking place. I find the church that I like and I then plug into that church and I join that church. And when I join that church, it's like getting engaged, you know, because I now become part of this congregation and part of the vision of this church. And then when I become a member and I sign the membership, it's like I put the ring on the finger and I commit myself to the church and what the church's vision is and what they do. Come on, somebody. And then I get active in the kingdom uh, of God because now seed is sown when I, when I make that covenant with the church. And it sounds different what I'm teaching you, but when you join a church, it's a big deal. Hello, it's a big deal. You become my family. Yes, my spiritual mother and father. And I submit to them and I obey them and I listen to them. And a lot of people say, but I don't like that. Even pastors say, I don't want that. But you cannot change it because it's the ordinance of God. And that's how church is supposed to be. Because the mother and the father will speak into your life and you give them the right to do so. When did you do that? When you got water baptized because that's when the covenant was made. I bury the old man. And I stand up. Now, I don't know about you Aussies, how you do it. I can't remember. But in our country, before we water baptize people, we have a couple of questions. We say to the new people who stand up front, question number one, did you give your heart to Jesus? Can you, can, can you confess that you are truly born again? Do you love the Lord with all your heart? Yes, I do. I'm born again. Wonderful. Now, do you give the church the right to follow up on you? And if we find you sinning, that we can come and speak into your life and bring correction according to the scripture? And they say yes. And boy, do some people get mad when they are sinning and the pastor goes to them and says, listen, I see what you're doing is wrong. You need to repent and change your lifestyle. <laughs> well, you can't get mad. You gave me the right to do so. Because I'm your spiritual father and I'm here to help you. Because if you keep this up down the line, you're going to fall and get hurt. And because I love you, I don't want to see my children get hurt. You understand what I'm saying? When I get married, uh, you know, and I join the church, I become part of this family. It's like when you get married. When I married Shemaine, I didn't marry Shemaine. I married her family. A lot of you forget that. That's why God hates divorce. Because when you get divorced, you don't only just hurt the person you're divorcing from. You hurt the whole family. It affects the whole family. Everybody's hurt. What happens on the honeymoon? Seed is sown. So what happens when I join the church and I'm now getting involved in the church? The church begins to grow. Why? Because I'm working. I become intimate with the vision of the church and I begin to help bring church growth. 
souls that I lead to the Lord are the seeds being sown. Who receives this? Very important that you have intimate relationship with God and to understand the value of the church. Let's move on. Number five, the next V. This is one everybody's going to get very excited on because V stands for values. And there's something wrong with the Christian value of the modern church today. The value, they, their values, their moral compasses broke somewhere. Oh boy. There's no more moral compass. There's no more, there's no more, you know, respecting myself for who I am and, and obeying God. What are the, look at the moral values of today's standard. Friend, you have to understand, and I believe I'm speaking to Christians tonight, but you have to understand one thing. Satan is blatantly, completely flat out after our young people. Look at the woke movement. Look at the LBGTQ, AFMBC, whatever. <laughs> Too many letters. They just put a plus behind it because they're so confused they don't even know themselves what's going on. <laughs> but would you would you agree with me? There's, the moral compass is completely gone. We watch the modern family on TV and we say, what a great story. But they teach you homosexuality. They teach you to live together. They don't talk about the married couple. and They don't talk about family values anymore. And when the pastor preaches on family values and we talk about, you know, keeping your virginity and being righteous before the Lord, the world throws a tantrum and they get a fit because it's going against the moral standards. They don't like what the Bible says. They hate the Bible. They hate Christians. And they hate Christians who stand for the truth, who fear God and who honor God and who believe in His Word. Come on, this is where I should have gotten that standing ovation and clapping of hands. But people are just quiet, sitting there looking like you're bombshelled, shocked. What in the world is this guy preaching? You're a Christian. Come on, Christians. We are following God. We are following the ways of God. Hallelujah. I'm not confused in my moral compass. I was blind, but now I see. Bless the Lord. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was on the wrong way, but I'm on the right way my mind is renewed hallelujah I don't think and speak the way the world speaks but I think the way God wants me to think and I do the things God wants me to do why I renewed my mind and repentance took place where's your values parent is it okay for your daughter and your son to go out and gallivant until two in the morning have you lost what they're doing? Do you still care? Have you ever gone on their Facebook page and see what kind of sites they've gone into and what kind of things they are busy with? Are you happy that they're on TikTok 24-7? Are you happy with the movies they watch? Are you happy somebody, somebody said to me, oh, Brother Dion, you're just old. You're just old, you know, you don't understand. We're living in a different era. We're living in a different time. It's not the time of the Bible. It's the new time. Hello, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And nothing of the Bible has changed for you and for I who are Christians. Nothing has changed. The only thing that's changed is you who never repented and did not accept the full counsel of God and His Word. 
You stand in church, one foot in, in church, hoping to get the benefit of God, and that's to go to heaven when you die. And how sad it is, some people don't even have that. They just want to be in church that when they die, the pastor can bury them. This is what happens when you've been traveling and preaching for 34 years. You kind of see what's going on. You learn. Are you being offended at me? Because if you are, you're in a backslidden state. Somebody says, thank God it's finished tonight. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Just let this man, we love you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Like Rodney Howard Brown, he traveled through a town in America, and he phoned the pastor and says, listen, I'm passing through. Can I come and preach? And the pastor says, no, you just keep passing through. God bless you. Hallelujah. <laughs> values. Somebody say values. Now, obviously, I have 110,000 scriptures that I can do, but I'm just speaking from my heart tonight. Maybe I don't get to see you again. Maybe Jesus comes. Maybe Jesus comes within three months and here you are listening to my voice. You have a choice and a decision to make as a Christian. What are you going to do with what you are hearing? I so wish the church was full tonight. Are we recording these messages? We are. Well then buy or get a copy from Jeff and give it to every member of the church or give it to your family. Let them hear the truth. It's on the broadcast, podcast, it's on the podcast. Number six, so that was values. Number six is the next A in revival. The last A, the last A stands for what people really don't like. Obviously, all of these they don't like, but it stands for accountability. Account, say accountability. See, accountability is, accountability is not a cuss word. It is, a, it is a necessity that you and I are held accountable for every decision that we make and everything we do. Accountable, I want to read what I wrote here. Accountability means, are you listening? Answering to somebody. You are answering to someone. It is literally giving an account of yourself. Where you've been, what you've been doing, and what your motives are. Accountability also suggests that the one who is holding you accountable has the freedom to ask for an account. And most of us, we don't like to give a full account of what we've been up to. Why? Because we feel that it puts too many restrictions upon us. And it also may force us to open up the dark corners of our lives that we prefer to keep closed. I hit you this week, yesterday, three services with a lot of questions of accountability. How many souls have you won for Jesus? Didn't like it. How many demons did you cast out? Didn't like it. How many times have you laid hands on somebody and got them healed? You didn't like that. But yet, as a minister, I have the right to hold you accountable because Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples. Right? He, he gave us commandments to follow after. And yet when, when we dare as a minister speak this way, we take offense. It's because your life is not right with God. And you've discovered, 
I'm not obedient to what God is asking me to really do. I'll do the nice things, but I want to do the tough one. Accountability. When you apply for a job, all of you here are workers, hopefully. And when you went for a job interview and you sat down and the person who did the interview told you what your job description was. Your job description is you start promptly 8 o'clock in the morning. There is a dress code that you have to follow. When you follow the dress code, you have to now follow the following. If you're a store manager, you got to make sure that the store is clean and that the safety products are all in order and that everything after the day's work is cleaned up and packed away. You understand? You are to lock up the store, the shop, and you got to make sure everything is good. This is your job. You don't leave before 5, and you don't have to work later than 5. You work from 8 to 5, right? Just as a simple example, this is your job. Now, you sign the contract, and when you sign the contract, also you sign this is how much money you're going to earn for the job that you do. <coughs> Who understands this? So the first three weeks goes well and you start your job and you're learning and it's new. But something happened and you got late one morning. And when you came late to work, your boss came to you and asked you an account for why were you late today. And you said, well, you know what? Um, there was a traffic jam or my car broke or something. And then he says, okay, I'll give you, uh, I'll excuse you this time. I receive or accept your, your uh, um, what's the word, uh, excuse that you have. But make sure it doesn't happen again. Then you do it three months later, you come late to work again. Now your boss is saying, where were you this time? And you know what happens? If you keep on coming late to work, eventually your boss is going to say, well, you've got a warning, warning one, warning two. And if you get your final warning, you're fired. Accountability. We, re we accept accountability in the, in the world, but we will not accept accountability in church. Oh, you have a free will, and you can do whatever you like. You don't have to be forced to do anything, because, you know, the way we preach, they say, you're condemning me. No, I'm not condemning you. You need to understand there's accountability as a Christian. You're accountable for your actions. Who agrees with what I'm saying? Do you accept this? Real accountability, somebody say real accountability. What does it do? Number one, it keeps us honest. Number two, keeps you on the right moral standard. Keeps you on the right path. It's not always comfortable, but it's very necessary. To be unaccountable means we are free to go where, we, where our desires lead us. And that's a dangerous thing to do. We are free to go wherever my desire leads me. God holds us accountable. He sees all, he knows all, and nothing is hidden from him. One day, we will all give an account to God for what we have done here on the earth. May these words sing into your spirit. One day, we will all give an account for what God has done. Uh, what you have done for God, excuse me. Last one. Somebody says, thank goodness. L in revival. And L stands for loyalty. Commitment. Loyalty. Loyal to God. When I put that ring on my wife's finger, I say to my wife, 
with this ring, I commit myself to you. And the good old Christian vows, we used to say, in richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. Today, people marry and they make different vows. But in the end, a vow is a commitment. I commit myself solely to you. I'm marrying you. In other words, I'm saying to you, I will never, ever, ever look at another woman again. I won't lust after them. I won't cheat on you because I've committed my life, not just part of my life. I've committed my whole life, my whole being to you. And we become one. I love fighting here. We become one. Am I speaking the truth, Pastor? It's true. We become one. And she is my everything. I am committed to her. What is mine is hers, and what's hers is mine. We don't have two different bank accounts. We have one bank account. Talking about our marriage now. Don't know how yours is, and I don't really care. But because I said I trust you with exactly uh, everything, everything that I have is, is yours, and I completely trust you with what I have. See, a good marriage is based upon relationship, but number one, the most important thing is that God is part of our marriage. You cannot have a healthy marriage without God. I'm sorry. That's why the world is failing and people are divorcing and having problems is because God is not part of it. We pray together. We cry together. We minister together. We walk together. We do everything together. And best of all is we communicate. I am loyal to my wife. And if I'm loyal to my wife, the marriage principle, oh, God didn't put the marriage just there to punish some people. I heard someone say one day, how can you be married to one person? Isn't that boring all your life, one person? They know you don't know what love is. Because love binds me to one person. I don't want to be with anybody else except my wife. I saw on Facebook once, I think it was Facebook, some story I read, maybe you read it as well. But they, there, was this, um, there was this young lady who would advertise herself uh, on the internet and say, I'm willing to marry any rich man who will, who's willing to take me. Young, beautiful woman, she said, I'll marry any multimillionaire if you're willing to come. And I saw some comments come up there of some billionaires who said, listen, I'm married to my wife for, you know, 30 or 40 years. And thank goodness I'm married because I do not need another young one like you to mess my life up. It took me 40 years to get my first wife right. <laughs> so I don't, wanna, I don't need to trade you and, you know, my wife. I'm happy with where she's at. I'm loyal to my wife. Come on, somebody. Are you loyal to Jesus? Oh, you're not hearing. Are you loyal to God? Where is your loyalty? Are you spending more time in the world than you are with God? Are you more on Facebook and YouTube and on TikTok than you are in the Word and in prayer? Where does your loyalty lie? Are you watching the news and watching movies and, and watching football and doing sports and all of these things? Have you made your hearts to be loyal to that? Or are you loyal to going to church, submitting and giving everything you have for God? Somebody says, that's way too much you're asking me to do, Dion. Maybe it is, but I understand the fruits and the value of that. Because I see the results in my life. As for me in my house, we serve the Lord. 
They serve the Lord. They fear God. They're winning souls. All my boys are soul winners. They're praying, casting out devils, raising the dead, healing the sick. That's what my children are doing. Honestly, they really are involved. My wife and I are serving the Lord, and there's nothing nicer for me to do than to tell you today, my household is serving God. Why? Because we made a decision to be loyal to Jesus. Are you loyal to your church? Because I told you, when you get married to the church, that's where you stay until God tells you to go. But church hopping, hopper, 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 hopper. That's going to offend some people, but my goodness, how can you invest in somebody who's not going to be here tomorrow? How can I, how can I, that's what I find so amazing that when, uh, and in the ACC, uh, in, the, in the full gospel, in the whatever, all churches, you know, we have somebody from the outside come in and take the church over when you've been training somebody up in the house to be your son and they understand what's going on in the house. Rather make your son of the house the pastor of the church instead of getting some stranger coming in. But that's a personal thing that I have. Because I'm investing in you. Your pastor has invested how many years have you been here now? 30 years? 35 years? Come on, 35 years. Invested in you. He's been loyal to serving you, him and Pastor Michelle. Their children have been loyal in serving you. Why are you not loyal in serving them? Why don't, you, why don't you stay loyal to the house? And if there's some activity taking place, be loyal and serve and say, let me help you do what you need to do. Are you getting what I'm saying? It's a, it, it's a big thing, loyalty. Number one, if you can't be found loyal in the house, how can you be loyal at church? If you can't be found loyal to your family or to your wife or to your husband, how can you be found loyal to God? I'm teaching revival tonight. I'm teaching you to understand that when we say, I want revival, are you willing to pay the price on these words that I've given you? Well, I didn't think revival was that. I thought revival is just fall down, laugh, and have goosebumps, you know, and see some miracles and go home and sin like the devil again. <laughs> no. Revival starts between me and the Lord. Relationship. Love for God. When I have that first love for Jesus, everything else will follow. When I love God with all my heart, I'll read the Bible. I'll obey his commandments. When he said, go and make disciples, I'll do it. When he says, tithe, I'll do it. When he says, pray, I'll do it. When he says, fast, I'll do it. When he says, love, I'll do it, even though it's difficult, but I will do it. Amen. I don't like sometimes doing certain things, but I'll do it because God commanded me to do these things. And if I have to forgive, I'll do it. Not from here, but from here. And if I find my tongue being sharp, and I find my tongue judging and criticizing somebody else because they're not doing what I want them to do, I need to repent. Because you are backslidden and you have a critical, judgmental spirit. Don't judge somebody else because they're not like you. Love them, teach them, guide them. Be strict if you have to. 
The Bible says that. I taught you the other night. Uh, I told you that Timothy said, Timothy, be strong, rebuke, convince, encourage them. People don't understand the calling of a prophet. If you read Jeremiah chapter 1, can we get that on there, please? Jeremiah chapter 1. I just want to, I'll close with this. Who enjoyed tonight? Hallelujah. One hand clap. That's awesome. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, I, I think I did. <laughs> it's like Pastor Barbara said to me last week. She said to me, good old-fashioned Pentecostal preaching. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, I believe it is. The word of the Lord came to me, just go as I, as I read, okay, I'll stop you. The word of the Lord came to me saying, uh, saying to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet to the nation. So everybody knows, here's Jeremiah, who is called as a prophet, right? This is his job. Next one. He says, then I said, Allah God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, for, I, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. This was my problem when I was 25 years old. I said, Lord, make me gray, because the older folk don't accept what I'm teaching. And then he goes on. He says, do not be afraid of their faces. Thank God for that verse. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Next one. Then the Lord put forth his hand, to touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. Now listen quickly. Jeremiah didn't ask for this. God put it in him. Today, he says, see, I have set you, uh, sorry, see, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. Now, if you don't understand the, the office of a prophet and what a prophet does, well, here it is. Number one, the prophet comes in to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down. That's what the prophet will do. But then he doesn't stop there. He comes to build and to plant. Many times people don't understand my office. I would say this now boldly before you because I've accepted it now. And I didn't want to previously say it, but I stand in the office of the apostle. And I come and I preach many times with the finger pointing in the office of the, the prophet. And I am the evangelist and I can be the pastor and I'm a teacher. Because this is the fivefold ministry. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. The apostle can do all things five or all all functions I don't say that boastingly I don't say that braggingly because the Lord told me you are a father and where you go you'll bring the correction and they won't like it but it's my word I've put in your mouth I find myself in the last four years teaching and preaching to pastors many 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 pastors have come I've been invited to pastors conferences and I'll speak to them because they are lacking Real fathers today. Lacking the fatherhood in the church. Because people have become too afraid to speak the truth. 
So when the prophet comes in, and a lot of people don't like that, we pull up, we root down, we speak the word. It looks like destruction, looks like a bomb has gone off, but then comes the healing. Then comes the restoration. Then comes the planting and the growth. That is how church is supposed to be. Who agrees with what I'm saying? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to me tonight. Can I ask every head bowed and every eye closed? There's a couple of things I want to do before we leave. I spoke a, suppose a strong word to some. To others it was life. It was a breath of fresh air. I see some nods heading. Nods. Heads nodding. <laughs> nods heading. Oh, that was close, eh? <laughs> but some people enjoyed. Who enjoyed what I was preaching? Come on, is there somebody who enjoyed this word? Bless the Lord. But if I've spoken to you and you've discovered in your life, but you know what, things aren't the way I should be. Dion, you really, you really hit the nail on the head tonight in my life. You know what, I kind of had a look now back at me. And you said things tonight that really shook me in my spirit. And there are some things I need to work on and there are some things I need to change. And, and I cannot have Pastor James change me and I cannot have you change me. Only God can change me and I need to make certain decisions. Tonight I have to pull the line in the sand. Tonight I have to make a decision. Am I finished with the things of the world? Am I completely sold out, dedicated, and going to go 110% for God? Or am I just going to continue living the lie I've been living? Am I surrendering to the Lord? If you say to me, Dion, would you pray for me, please? I'm a Christian. I know that. I'm born again. I know that. But Dion, your word has cut to my heart, and I need to repent of certain things. Obstacles that Satan has brought my way. You spoke about the backslidden Christian and I, and I fall under four or five of those points that you spoke about. I don't want to be backslidden. I don't want to be lost. I want to make Jesus really my number one. I got divorced from the Lord a long time ago. Yes, we sit in church and we, we do the religious thing. But quite frankly, I just, you know, I'm just not committed to Jesus the way I should be. Tonight, I want to ask you to pray for me. That I can turn from my ways that are wrong and turn back to Jesus. I want to be revived tonight in my spirit I want God to touch me and change me tonight if that's you just raise your hand let me see is there anybody who wants me to pray with? you can lift your hand up don't be shy I can see hands going up those of you who raise your hand would you Please come forward. I'd love to minister to you right now. Everybody raise their hands. It's not a message of repentance for salvation. It's a message of repentance to come back to God.
It's a free will decision. Pastor James, tonight will you help me minister? Pastor Malcolm, will you will you join me please? Now I can see some of you are sitting on the edge of your seat. You're meaning to stand up, but it's like there's a fear gripping you. Don't let that don't let that fear hold you back tonight. Come, let us minister to you. Let us pray for you. Let us ask the Holy Spirit to baptize you with a fresh fire tonight, with a fresh anointing. Pastor Michelle, will you join us as well? Can I ask all of you to take three steps forward? If you can, just move forward, please, everybody. I'll just give a couple of uh, seconds, maybe a minute. If there's anybody else who chooses to come forward, please come. It's not a, it's not a judging. It's not a condemnation. It's nothing like that. It's just a, a cry for more of God, a cry for revival, a cry to say, Lord, I, I so desperately need you in my life. I so desperately need you, Jesus. Come on down if you want to come down. I asked Pastor Malcolm, Pastor James, Pastor Michelle to pray with me. Because the anointing doesn't flow from one person, but it flows through all of us. And I want you to understand, repent. Repent. This is most probably the first step you need to do in this prayer line. Is you need to repent and ask God's forgiveness. Number two, develop a heart, a spirit of endurance. Ask the Lord for a new vision tonight to enter you, come upon you, fresh vision. Restore your intimacy with God tonight. Pastor James taught it, and the word says, I love everything that you do for me, but there's one thing I have against you. You left your first love. You left your first love. If your moral standards are corrupt, then ask the Lord to restore the values of the word of God back into your heart. Check out what are your values. See if your values line up with God's values. If you're not accountable, make a decision tonight to be accountable. Make a decision, I'm not going to get mad when somebody preaches the truth, but I will repent when needed. I will take the responsibility for my decisions that I've made and I understand that I will be held accountable by God one day. So I'm going to try to the best of my ability to do what the Lord tells me to do. And lastly, if you're not loyal to a church, become loyal. Become loyal to God, number one, and become loyal to your local church. 
buy into the vision of the church. And if you can't buy into that church's vision, find a church where you can. Commit yourself to that church. Commit yourself to that vision. Buy into that vision and get involved. Make yourself available. If you work for a company, you're going to give them your best because the laborer is worthy of his wages. If you're going to give yourself to God and to the church, give him your best. Amen. So we're just going to come, we're going to lay our hands. Pastors, you can actually um, please help me by uh, ministering right now. We're just going to come. I need a catcher with every minister. Where's the men? Come on, let's be servants. And uh, let's just begin to lay hands and serve the Lord. You have something to sing? Do you know what? I believe that all of you sitting there should be up front here. I believe all of you should come to the Lord tonight and say, Lord, stir up revival in my heart. Who would agree? You know why? Not, not one of you have arrived and not one of you are perfect. Neither am I. I would take hold of every opportunity there is to receive counsel, to receive blessings, to receive healing or whatever the Lord has. Catches with uh, all the pastors. But be serious with the Lord. All of you standing, be serious. It's a very personal decision tonight. Very personal. Very holy. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Every dark addiction starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name. just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear, over fear and all anxiety, to every, to every soul held captive by depression, I speak Jesus, your name is power. Strong home. 
Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Your name is power, your name is healing, your name is love. 
speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Till every dark addiction starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety to every soul held captive by depression. I speak Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout Jesus from the Jesus in the street, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus.
Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness of every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus, shout your name, shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Your name is power, your name is healing, your name. Just want to speak. 
just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety to every soul held captive by depression I speak Jesus your name is mine Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness of every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over Every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness. Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Your name. 
just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety to every soul held captive by depression I speak Jesus your name is God Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountain, Jesus in the streets, 
Stronghold shine through the shadow. 